Hello everyone, my name is Noah. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I am a theology PhD student at the University of Edinburgh and I joined the church last year during the pandemic so it's been really nice getting to meet you all in person at long last. Um, as you said, uh, we start our sermon series on Luke's Songs of Advent. Today's sermon passage comes from Luke chapter 1, 46 to 56, and is known as Mary's Song or the Magnificat, which comes from the Latin translation of the first line. So follow with me as I read it out for us. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has looked with favour on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him, from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones, and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. As I started to prepare this sermon, I was quickly struck by how momentous this song is and how seemingly irrelevant it might be for us reading it today. After all, this is Mary's song. This is a deeply personal, intimate response from someone experiencing something unique that has never happened before and never will again. None of us here are able to fully understand what Mary was going through. So how can we, in the 21st century, read and approach this text? What can we learn from this intimate passage that will be of relevance for our lives today? In answer to that question, I think we can look at Mary's song in two ways as a song of praise and a declaration of promise. Firstly, as a song of praise. In Luke's narrative, Mary sings this song shortly after she learns that she will become pregnant and give birth to Jesus, the Son of God. More specifically, she sings this after she visits her cousin Elizabeth, who will also miraculously bear a child, John the Baptist. It's crucial to remember here that at this time, having a child while unwed was considered improper and would have been an extremely shameful situation. Although Mary and Joseph were betrothed, they'd get to live together, and so the logical conclusion to Mary's pregnancy would have been that she had committed adultery. Mary would therefore have been, Mary would therefore have been seen as immoral and not to be associated with. So, in saying yes to bearing Jesus, Mary placed herself at great risk of being ostracized by her family, her community, her society. Indeed, we know from Matthew's Gospel that Joseph was considering ending their betrayal, their betrothal. This would have meant that her economic security would have been jeopardized also. And finally, we should also remember here that childbirth was and still is dangerous, particularly during Mary's time. So at this point in Luke's retelling, Mary has just received unexpected and incomprehensible news that will put her in a position of great insecurity, rejection, and even physical danger. 
not to mention the sheer immensity of the task that she now has of burying and raising the Son of God. What is Mary's response to this awesome, terrifying, life-changing news? She sings a song of praise. She sings a song of thanksgiving to God, expressing joy and gratitude. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) In her song, Mary acknowledges God and his good works, the wonderful things that he has done for her, for Israel, and for humanity. In verse 48, she says, He has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant, and all generations will call me blessed. In verse 49, she says, The mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She goes on to sing of his mercy to generations and generations, of his faithfulness to Israel, of his faithfulness to his servants. I find her response so remarkable. Mary receives life-changing news that completely upsets and alters any dreams or futures that she might have imagined for herself. It changes how she might have imagined her marriage to Joseph. It changes how she might have imagined motherhood to look like. She is a pregnant, unwed teenager from low social class and limited social economic means. All logic indicates that this could very well be her ruin. Yet, here she is rejoicing. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She magnifies the Lord. Mary's song of praise invites us to make praise our response as well. In times of difficulty, when we face uncertainty or the unknown, Mary teaches us that these can also be opportunities to sing praises to God. This is a very difficult spiritual discipline to master, and it's something that I struggle with quite a bit. Those of you who know me well will know that I like a good moan and a rant, and here I'm avoiding the eyes of my husband. But I think practicing ways to be thankful in the face of hardship or difficulty is something worth cultivating, not least because it'll make us more pleasurable to be around. When we can find reasons to rejoice, like Mary did, our whole outlook changes, our perspective shifts, things get easier to deal with. A few years ago, before my grandmother passed away, Um, she kind of lost control of a lot of her bodily functions but still retained a strong sense of independence. And there was one time when I took her to the bathroom and left her and then checked in on her a few minutes later and unfortunately she had completely soiled herself and made quite a bit of mess. And I came back and looked at her and I was like, oh my goodness, I have a million other things to do. I cannot be dealing with this. And I'm afraid to say it, but I kind of got angry at her. I got frustrated. I got frustrated at the situation. I got frustrated at how it ruined my day and that I would then have to clean up after her. And then in the midst of all this, she was there trying to help herself to clean up after herself and in doing so made even more of a mess. And as I was getting angry and frustrated with her and trying to tell her to stop moving and to just let me deal with this and just kind of moaning, I felt God speak to me and said to me, and I felt God say to me, Noam, this is what you prayed for when you pray that you would have the opportunity to look after her, to care for her, to give, to have a long life, this is part of it. This comes with it. And I remember thinking, yeah, that's completely right. I asked for this. Not many people have the opportunity 
to look after the grandmother, to care for her, to clean up after her in the literal way that she cleaned, literally in the same way that she cleaned up after me when I was younger. And this is an opportunity that I prayed for and that I should be thankful for. And in that moment, I felt my attitude shift. And the task got easier and things got a little bit more bearable. And I don't share this to kind of big myself up or to praise myself, but to give you an example of one way in which I found that singing praises, being thankful, has helped me deal with a situation. Now, I want to be clear here. I'm not saying that if we just praise God, then the problem goes away, or that God will immediately intervene in the way that we want. Nor am I saying that we must always put on a happy face. I don't think that's the case at all. As it says in Ecclesiastes, there is a time to weep and mourn. There are times for grieving and despair and lamentation. There are times when our feelings of hurt and anger and despair are justified and that the best thing we can do is let it all out and share them with our friends and family and with God. I'm also not... Sorry. Um, But what I do want to suggest here is that there are always reasons to praise God because God is always worthy of praise by the simple fact that he is God. And we should note that sometimes if all the praise that we can muster is as short as, and as, is, is as short and simple as God, I acknowledge you're good, then sometimes that's enough. I think this practice of thankfulness is something that God has been teaching me personally at this moment. And in my experience so far, it makes the situation more bearable. In Mary's song, then, we see a great example of the right response. That is, praise, thanksgiving, acknowledgement of God's might and his mercy. So what is it that enables Mary to be so thankful, so full of praise? And how can we adopt a similarly grateful attitude? The first reading of Mary's song as a song of praise is related to the second way in which we might read the Magnificat as a declaration of promise. Mary is so thankful, so joyful, because she knows that this is a God who keeps his promises. We'll see the theme of fulfillment of promises reappear in the next two weeks as we go through Luke's account of the nativity. In her song, Mary not only thanks God and praises him for what he has done, but she also envisions and prophesies further amazing deeds from God. It's a song of what God has done, and it's a song of what God will do. Scatter the proud, bring down the powerful, lift up the lowly, fill the hungry with good things, send the rich away empty. Mary's song declares the coming kingdom of God, initiated by the birth of his son. And it is her knowledge of God's past actions that allows her to confidently declare what he will do in the future. And this knowledge of who God is, the keeper of promises, enables her to be joyful in a moment of great anxiety and change. Advent is a season of waiting, of anticipation, of hope. We anticipate the birth of the Saviour. We excitedly put up Christmas trees and decorations. We buy gifts, expectant of the happy faces of our loved ones as they open them. We book train tickets and plan Christmas lunches and parties. We look forward to catching up with friends and family. But Christmas can also be difficult for some people. The past few years have been really hard on my family. 
There have been at various points hospitalizations, deaths, diagnosis, and some difficult discoveries. And I've noticed that in the past few years, I've become quite anxious about coming home to see my family for Christmas. What family drama will occur when we're all together? What tensions will arise? What arguments? What difficult conversations? So I approach Christmas with an uneasy mix of joy, excitement, but also trepidation. There's a sense of anxiety and worry, which I hold in tension with the joy that this season truly brings me. And I don't think I'm alone in this. I'm sure that there are others like myself who feel a sense of worry or even a sense of fear mixed in with all of the excitement. In preparation for this sermon, I've been reading and praying Mary's song every day for the past two weeks or so. And as I did this, I noticed that my interpretation of the text changed depending on my mood or what happened that day. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has looked with favour on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great, great things for me, and holy is his name. As I was reading this, with all of my anxieties and fears about the Christmas period simmering in the back of my mind, I realized that I had started to read it as things that I wanted for myself. I read Mary's words about, what God had done great, about how God had done great things for her, and I wanted God to do the same for me. I had begun to read the Magnificat almost as a personal litany of requests, a wish list of sorts of things I wanted from God, and as a source of encouragement for myself. My soul will magnify the Lord. My spirit will rejoice in God my Saviour, for he has looked with favour on me, and all generations will call me blessed. There's a sense of hope and anticipation in Mary's song, which I find extremely encouraging and comforting. If it's not been fulfilled, then it's not yet been finished. As God says in Isaiah 55, my word will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Mary knows that this is a God whose word does not return to him empty. God will lift up the lowly. God will fill the hungry. And God will grant my family peace and healing and reconciliation. There is not one situation in the world which God's might and power cannot change. Mary's song, reads as, read as a declaration of promise, shows us that God is still at work in the world and that we can hold fast onto the promises that God makes. And if we feel a little uncomfortable about asking audacious things from God, we need only to remember other examples in the Bible, such as the psalmist or Hannah or Abraham. The important thing to remember here when we do so, however, to avoid this becoming a transactional relationship where we ask God and we treat God like a vending machine, is to remember how Mary refers to herself in the first line of the Magnificat. She is a lowly servant. It's not Mary's lower social class or her vulnerable position that makes her specially favoured by God, but her humble, her, her humble attitude, her humility, her faithfulness and devoutness to God. Just as God remembered his servant Israel, just as he kept the promises that he made to the ancestors of Mary, we know that we can trust God that we know that we can trust that God will do the same for us too. 
In closing, let's return to our question at the beginning. How is this deeply personal response to a unique and incomparable event relevant for us today? I think reading Mary's song in two different but related ways is the key. Firstly, Mary offers up to God a song of praise and thanksgiving. Despite her precarious situation, she is able to recognize the blessing that she has received and sing a song of joy and victory. Likewise, we can emulate Mary's response and adopt a posture of praise, finding reasons to rejoice and give thanks to the Lord in all circumstances. This is easier said than done, but what helps us is remembering the second way that we might read Mary's song, as a declaration of God's promises. Mary's song teaches us that we can have hope in the promises of God, that God can and will do great things for his people, that God can and will overthrow the proud, lift up the lowly, enact justice and reign with mercy and grace and righteousness. The two ways are related. Mary is able to adopt an attitude of thankfulness and praise because she knows who God is. In the verses just before this song, Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, says, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Mary's complete and utter faith comes from knowing who God is and what he has done, the promises he's kept. And this enables her to offer up praise. And not only that, sing of the fulfillment of future promises of a God who will do more. This Advent, as we anticipate the birth of Jesus, perhaps with feelings of joy or anxiety or both, let us, like Mary, remember the wondrous things that God has already done and find hope in the many more wondrous things to come. Let me pray before we continue worship. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here today as your people. We thank you for the opportunity to sing praises to you just as Mary did, Lord. We pray, Lord, as we approach the birth of your son, that you would fill us with your peace, that you would fill us with your joy, Lord. Fill us with a peace that surpasses all understanding. Help us to find moments of gratitude, moments of thankfulness, moments of praise to you, Lord, recognizing the privileges that we enjoy, recognizing the blessings that we have already received, Lord. And in moments of pain or of worry or anxiety, when life gets difficult, Lord, we pray that we would remember and hold fast onto the promises that you have made to us, Lord. We pray that we remember that the Christmas is the coming of the Prince of Peace, that Christmas is the coming of your Son who will enact a righteous kingdom, Lord. We pray for your peace and your joy today and in the weeks to come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.